Welcome back to Humans of Purpose. I'm your host, Mike Davis, and each week I bring you conversations with local purpose-driven leaders. Leaders creating social impact through their work and inspiring positive social change across a wide variety of sectors. Sit back, tune in, and enjoy the next 40 minutes guaranteed to inspire you with our signature blend of wisdom, experience, and banter. Learn more at humansofpurpose.com. It's not about the stress you feel, but it's about how you respond to the stress that you feel that makes a difference, right? And I think being calm under pressure is severely underrated when it comes to performance and dealing with responses and triggers from our environments. So I think that's one quote that I definitely like constantly remind myself about. It's, it's like, okay, I feel stressed right now, but why am I feeling stressed? What's the trigger? And trying to figure that out and drawing the limiting beliefs that are sitting out behind that. Great to be back with you here, as always. A reminder that our Humans of Purpose Experience Survey 2022 is open and prizes are still on the cards until we reach our first 20 responses. Two of these first 20 survey respondents will have the opportunity to appear as guests on the podcast representing themselves and or their organization. This is an opportunity valued at around $1,000 per podcast appearance. To complete the survey and find out more about our promotional packages, just hit the link in our show notes. As always, we are proud to be sponsored by Neon Treehouse, the best digital agency on the planet Earth, and Creole as our major drink sponsor. More on both in the show notes. This week, I'm thrilled to welcome Heshan Fernando to the podcast. Hesh is the founder of The Modern Man. This is his coaching program for men around how to conquer stress and achieve success. Hesh and I met many moons ago on a, trip, a group trip to Bhutan, and it's been amazing to watch him find his lane in life since. It's also been interesting to talk to someone about the unique challenges facing men. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Hesh as much as I did. Hesh, welcome to the podcast, mate. It's been a long time, but I'm so happy to see you, albeit over Zoom. Thank you for having me, man. I'm really excited to have a chat with you after a long time. And in this context, it's going to be even more powerful. So I'm looking forward to it. Must have been about eight years ago or something around that time that we were in Bhutan together of all places. Um, And I remember (laughs) many spiritual philosophical uh, conversations uh, in monasteries, around monasteries, long walks and green paddocks and over emidate as well, of course, the national dish. (laughs) <laughs> oh my god you're, you're taking me right back man i completely forgot about that let me see if you can so this is my favorite hesh memory from bhutan and you may or may not remember this but we found this um pristine spring uh where the water was just perfect and you of course um opened my eyes a little bit but also made me laugh because you, you took this big glass bottle everywhere and i remember i kept saying to you what's with the glass bottle it looks like you know, what, you know what's it. funny uh, i have a good big glass <laughs> ah, bottle there you right go. Now. I know people can't see it, but I'm holding it. <laughs> He's holding an enormous glass bottle that was even bigger than his previous glass bottle. And so we went down to that stream together, and it was a picturesque day. And you and I, after um, taking a little trolley car over the river, went down, the two of us, and filled up our bottles with the sweetest spring water I've ever drunk in my life. Oh, it wasn't, wasn't yes. that the good times. You took me back to a picture. I remember one of you guys took a picture of me just sculling the bottle and it was the purest water I've ever drank, man. Definitely the water way of that trip. No, and look, I mean, I just, I think it's it's important just for me. I mean, that was a very spiritual awakening for me, that journey, and I'm sure it was for you too. But I think certainly a place where we connected and when I think back about sort of the things you were doing then and um, what you're doing now, it just sort of would be a great time to reconnect and and touch base and sort of, you know, get you to tell your story. you know, it's been a 
a really busy, amazing, short life so far for you, but really keen to hear about the origin story and um, how you end up where you are today. Yeah, of course, man. I mean, yeah, it's been a blue moon and a half between where we were back then and now, and we've both gone on separate journeys, but um, it's always cool to connect again. In terms of my my journey personally, man, I mean, yeah, of course, Bhutan was part of that trip um, and that more spiritual awakening side of my life. But my journey started long before that, probably inside of the relationship between my dad and I uh, when we were younger and more of a family story to begin with. So obviously, um, like many families, like I, I, I loved um, spending time with my family. I loved doing things with my family. But at some point during my childhood, um, I kind of lost um, not respect, but like connection with my parents because of seeing things in different ways. I was trying to form into the man that I wanted to become. Um, during my teenage years and that was often conflicting with the way that they wanted me to be and I mean I didn't have the maturity to speak about it the way I do now but back then I would um, kind of store up my emotions bottle them up not being able to talk about how I was really feeling because that coming from a South Asian background um, not a lot of people share their emotions especially in my family anyway mm. or talk about uh, what's really going on on the inside everything's kind of like about performance and achievement Mm-hmm. So, are you sure you're not describing a Jewish family? <laughs> I don't know enough about Jewish families, but I'm assuming it's not <laughs> so different. Man. It sounds similar to many uh, types of families, but go on. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, having that uh, conflict of the way that we believed about things and how people should be, I kind of ended up distancing myself from my parents and from my family. And as life was going on um, around my eight, 18 years old and stuff like that, um, I'd call it going into my turbulent 20s, so to speak, um, really kind of lost myself in the journey as well. Um, didn't know who I wanted to be, um, was wearing a mask, just putting on a happy face, going to school. But when I came home, I wasn't I wasn't happy. Like, and that's where I got to kind of sit in those emotions, but also didn't know how to express them. And essentially, the story is about my dad, right? And me and him. So he was a corporate business leader. He worked in transformation and lead projects across corporate Australia. And he was successful by all definitions of the word success in terms of monetary success, um, being able to perform at a higher level. But the problem was when he left the four walls of his office, he would often come home and bring that stress back into the household that he was accumulating during the day. Now, also being a person who didn't know how to deal with his emotions, deal with his stress, that would often get projected onto the family. And what I've found in my journey is that's not an uncommon story. Uh, men that are working hard, trying to perform, trying to achieve, uh, they kind of sacrifice what's truly important to them, their health, their relationships, uh, their presence, their anything that means something to them in order to drive their performance. And that was the story of my dad. And the impact that that had on our family was um, not negative, but it was limiting. And it created a disconnect and it had an impact on me. So, I mean, do you want me to tell a bit more about it? Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting. I I think um, most people, there's an interesting split, I think, with men and their dads and stories about origin. So there's either the my dad is awesome and, you know, he's my best mate kind of of story that you get a lot. And then there's the less spoken about, um, you know, I really respect and have deep feelings of gratitude for my dad, but I also realize that I really don't want to be him. Uh, which which yeah. I think which I think I'm hearing now, and I'm I'm really intrigued to hear a bit more. Yeah, so I mean, it's funny you say that. I remember a decision I made at 18 years old that I would never end up like him. I would never be like him, and I made that decision in anger at the time. 
Now, the irony is around my 20s, early 20s, I became exactly like him. I was short-tempered. I wasn't able to uh, focus on what needed to be focused on. I was trying to drive performance, but everything felt like a grind. Like I was trying to push through my performance and bulldoze my way through. And I was achieving things, but not to my full potential, right? And what I recognized is I had adopted a similar model for performance that my dad had kind of gone through, where it's kind of like push down the stress in order to push through performance. All right, push down how you feel in order to strive ahead, sacrifice what's important to you to meet performance needs. I adopted that same model and that ended up practically destroying my life. And I, I would put it as going that far. Um, so you had but, the, yeah. these incredibly high expectations of yourself that you could never quite meet and uncontrollable yeah. emotions are bubbling beneath the surface. I, you know, I'm reflecting what you're talking about. It's so interesting. My journey is um, quite similar, just that... Um, dealing with a lifelong journey of um, learning as a male how to process and deal with emotions when you grew up in a family of origin where emotions were best not expressed. Yeah, I mean, it was it was more than that. It was taboo. It was almost like a, a shameful thing to talk about how you're feeling, right? And so I learned that behavior and I adopted it. And now that went on to impact the way that I approached my studies, the way I approached my relationships with friends and families and partners at the time. Um, and it ended up creating disconnect amongst all my relationships. I found myself in the wrong crowds. I found myself almost looking for uh, the more stress-centric, what I call situations, because I was so addicted to performance that came at the cost of everything that was important to me. Now, that led to an event when I was 22, and I speak about this a lot on podcasts, but where I got bottled in a club, a uni event. In the face from memory? Yeah, across the eye. Um, And so was in hospital for about two or three days, right, Um, awaiting the surgery. Now, in that time, I had my eyes fully bandaged. So I couldn't really see anything. I was just lying in the bed. And what I found was I was left alone with my own thoughts for the first time in my life. I was so focused on rushing and being busy and trying to perform and trying to get my studies right and trying to people please everyone around me, be there for friends and family. I hadn't actually just stopped and taken any time in that 20, 22, 22 years to be with myself. So I was in the bed and I, I recognized in a moment while I was sitting there that it was my in, internal state, my mindset that had created the entire re- reality that I had in front of me. I had this epiphany and it, it just hit me like a ton of bricks. And I was like, oh my God, I am fully responsible for the life that I had before me and all the collective decisions I've ever made that have even led me to an event where I got hit. I put myself here. Yeah, it's um, it's interesting. Like I often think, you know, um, that great quote, um, 10% of life is what happens to you and 90% of life is how you interpret what happens to you and your mindset around oh, that. Is, is perfect, that something you believe in? Perfectly said. I, I would fully agree with that, man. Yeah, um, it's been very true in my experience. I mean, I do think there are things that, um, of course, are out of our control that happen to us um, and they do shape us in ways uh, that we can or cannot explain a lot of the time. But certainly the the idea that we are in control of our emotions um, sort of takes me to stoicism a little bit. I, I can see myself reading the Daily Stoic uh, over there actually to draw a bit of strength. And <laughs> it's funny that you're sort of speaking a, a bit in that, um, in that uh, vein as well. Yeah, well... Uh... From an emotion standpoint, right? So my life, I felt like I had fallen apart at that point. And I, and I felt me pushing down my emotions, ignoring my stress in order to perform was 
heavily responsible for the situation I had found myself in. Mm. And so that became a rock bottom moment in my life, but it also became the turning point. And it became the point that I recognized that I had the power to change my circumstances by changing the way I think, by changing my perspectives on life. Now, I couldn't articulate it that well at the time, but I, I had a feeling that something needed to change in that direction. And so I went on this journey, very spiritual at the time, um, very internal, where I kind of shut out the world and I focused on myself. And I tried to figure out what it was in, within me that was responsible for giving me the life that I had in front of me. And I tried to work out how to uh, shift my mindset, change the way that I was thinking in order to produce better outcomes for my life in every area of performance, career, health, finances, spirituality, relationships. That's so well said. And um, I mean, I'm, I'm curious a little bit about, you know, has a lot of this been the catalyst for you wanting to go into um, coaching? Because, you know, the decision to do that, a lot of people will come to these realizations and change their mindset and then just continue on and maybe have a better life in doing whatever they're doing. But I think it sounds like you've really um, dove very deep into this space um, and you've really immersed yourself and decided this is sort of a calling for you rather than something that you just want to work on for yourself. Um, maybe if you can speak to that a little bit and why that was important to um, really throw yourself in the deep end. Mm. I felt like when you're at rock bottom, there's nowhere else to go. I was already as deep as I could go, right? So while I was there, I thought I'd stay there for a while and reflect on myself, reflect on my behaviours and increase my self-awareness and try to figure out what it was that was actually going on within me um, that I hadn't been dealing with because I knew there was something there. I could feel the, the, the turmoil, the anger, the resentment, the shame, all these things I'd been carrying throughout my life and storing in my nervous system that I hadn't been dealing with. So I went on a 10-year journey from then on to navigating those emotions, learning how to deal with that. That took me into various um, organizations, into various coachings, into various personal developments that had me look at how to increase my EQ, how to increase my mental fitness, um, increase my mental health. So I spent a good decade after that, most of my 20s, um, kind of deep diving into that space. And Yes, you're right. Not a lot. Of, not everyone would feel pain and then kind of take it into something that's their passion. But that's the decision I made from that day on. It's like either I do something about this now, this pain that I have and that I'm recognizing I have, or I will end up going in further, deeper direction. And I don't want to see what's next. You know, if I yep. got bottled now and I could see the progression was negative throughout my early 20s. Um, I could see that the progression was negative, right? I could see that I was heading on a steep downhill um, roll. And if I was getting bottled now, the thing that I saw next, I mean, I just didn't want to even look. So mm. that it was kind of like the discomfort of staying where I was um, outweighed the discomfort of moving towards a new future and looking at something different. It sounds to me like you've adopted like a, a fairly um... – male targeted approach to, to mental health and well-being and uh, performance. I mean, I, I get this a bit, but there's often a bit of a critique of, you know, men doing men's stuff with men. Uh, it's sort of like, you know, why why wouldn't you just work with everyone? And I wonder whether you can expand a bit on what some of the unique problems that men face, because we all, you know, every gender and um, sexuality faces 
all, as humans, we all face universal range of issues, but I think men do process things in a very different way. But I just want to hear your take on why it's not sort of universally applicable or why you've chosen that male kind of focus. Good question. Um, the, fir- the first piece of that is what happened between me and my dad was a big driver in this story, right? Two males. Um, I adopted his mannerisms, his way of being, and that was part of my journey. And so when I undid the damage that had been done by adopting what I call a stress-centric approach to performance based on the way that my dad approached performance, I wanted to teach other men how to overcome that because I saw there was a need in society for that. I also saw that men hold a lot of power um, in society in general and have for generations um, just in general. And what I saw that if they change the way that they approach performance, often the impact they start to have on others through their new example um, is a positive one on women or people of all gender associations. So I kind of saw men as the key to unlocking a society where things are better for everyone. Uh, it's almost like a safe space and a safe environment, but on a societal level. And so because of that, that's what made me go down the direction of working with men. Also, I didn't want to be a man speaking to women about how they should look at these things because it's different for women, it's different for men, and it's different for people of all gender associations, right? Yeah. Yeah. Make I didn't want to, yeah, exactly. I didn't want to make it about gender as much as I wanted to make it about there are other men out there like me and my father that I can see out in the corporate world, in business world, who are operating the same approach to performance and it's destroying their relationships, destroying their health, and it's causing them to sacrifice what's truly important to them, including their loved ones. No, it's, you've nailed it. And I just, I just wonder, you know, with, with um, the image of man having changed so much and what it means to be a man has sort of evolved so much over the years. I even feel like 10 years ago, the concept of being a man has changed significantly since the early 2000s and in the early 90s. And, you know, it, it's like a, a, a different, reading a completely different book from the um, mm. 80s itself. So what does being a good man mean today? Hey, babe, what you got there? This is a check from Carvana. I just sold my car to them. I went online and Carvana gave me an offer right away. Then they just picked up the car and gave me this. Well, that's a big check. Well, obviously, you could put this towards your next car, or we could finally get that jacuzzi, or I could start taking tuba lessons, or I could quit my job and write my memoir. Or I can put it towards my next car with Carvana. Sorry, your check, not mine. Sell your car to Carvana. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to get a real offer in seconds. I mean, it's, as you said, it's, it's dependent on the person. For every person, there's a, there's a different definition of what it means to be good, right? Now, there's obviously societal expectations of what it is to be a man. That's that question right now, right? And that's both on a gender level, that's on just a societal level in general. But the way I look at it is, what is it that's truly important to me as a person? Now, I, ha- I happen to identify as a man. So what is it that is truly of value to me in a, as a person? And how can I align my life? more and more with what's truly important to me in order to drive my performance needs rather than sacrificing what's important to me to drive performance needs. Now, for every man, every woman, every person, that's going to be different. What we value and what, what's important to us is fluid, and that changes throughout our lives. Um, in what's important to you one second, say in one season, it might be leadership. and That might be on the top of your priority list. So how can I align my life more with leadership um, tasks or leadership-oriented actions so that I can start to build that in my life? Because that's what I'm feeling called to right now. But the next season, I don't know, health might be a thing, right? And that, and so the, the 
values on your priority list go up and down as your life progresses. It's about being able to continuously address as they are changing, how to adapt your life to those values as they evolve. That's how I see it. That's so well said. So it's a bit of a dynamic um, evolution of how we progress through life. Our values will change, our priorities will change. And it's, I suppose, being aligned and resonant to that that can make us be our best selves. Is that sort of part of the thinking? Yeah, it's values alignment. That That's the bottom line. And I think that's across all humanity, all human beings. So it takes gender out of the equation. It takes being a man, a woman, or anything else out of the equation. And it's just looking looking at what you truly value as a person and what's important to you right now. And how can you start to get a, your life in accordance with those values? But then that's a set, the second piece is being able to track that as it changes too. What do you think is part of the reason why men are the way they are today with the male, particularly sort of like some of the common male problems we're talking about? You know, the, the ones about sort of the key one for me is not being able to talk about emotions in a, a calm, uh, reasoned way. And obviously sort of made a bit of a, um, a juxtaposition there between reasoning and emotions, which is very hard to do. But, um, you know, what are the other sort of extended problems that come from being a man that we sort of are brought up with from our origin that we face? Yeah, well, I mean, what it is to be a man is also generational, right? It's not mm. just looking at how we are as men in this generation, but looking at our fathers, our fathers' fathers, and so on. And that goes for women as well and other gender associations. But with men specifically, what I've done is I've tried to understand what the previous generations have gone through. And that's led to a lot of my healing between my father and I as well. I actually sat down with him. I talked to him about what actually happened to him in his childhood, what he went through as a man, what he experienced that shaped the way he's performing, that shaped the way he's impacting others. And inside of those conversations, I got to learn that, for example, he came from a, from Sri Lanka, a country that was in the middle of a civil war, um, most of his life. And so he adopted this survival mindset from a country that had a survival mindset. He brought that to Australia, trying to survive, and he's been in that survival mode ever since. Now, funnily enough, he happened to be my first client on my program when I developed it two years ago, right? And a lot of these conversations happened in that program where I shifted his uh, relationship to performance from being in survival mode to actually being able to thrive to be able to do what's important to him and have that drive his performance needs. Mm. So I think it is really a generational conversation. And I think one thing that men can do in order to heal themselves and look at what it is to be a man is to understand the men before them that came and their journeys. Yes. Yes. uh, It's so true. And, you know, it's funny when I think about what men used to be like and what they're like today. um, Like I'm one of those guys who, um, yes, I had my differences with my dad growing up and we didn't get along at times, but we are now very close. And um, he's definitely an inspiration to me and someone I want to be like in some ways, but in other ways, um, some things just terrifying. Like, um, so, you know, my 10 week old Marlo is around now and uh, my son and watching one of my proudest things that happens um, between us is when we change his nappy together and we, we feed him together and we just hang out with his grandson and my son. And it's an interesting experience because uh, I'm told by my family that my dad never had changed a nappy before. So seeing him do it at the first time at 75 with my son, it's just incredible to me because when Marlo came home, it was like just it wasn't an even an expectation. It was sort of like beneath an expectation. It was just like obviously um, it's going to be a shared thing in all aspects. 
Yeah. So I just I felt that that was a really interesting indication of how much things change, and also the same way like you know getting up through the night, what would happen, and it was just like oh he just went to work and did his thing, you know. Yeah, and that's the thing when you when you know that, for example, you know that about your father, it, it mm. brings an extra dimension to who you are as a person, who you want to be mm. going forward. Yeah, right? the totally. more you understand about them, the more you can understand yourself. I really do believe that. Yeah, and I, I sort of what I've realized is that he's he's a really high achiever and a performance oriented person. I have that from him and my mother, but at the same time, I have this intense desire to be present in my son's life uh, from a very early age. And I think that's part of what you were alluding to before about what are the things we love about our fathers and also the things we'd like to do differently. Yeah. I think well, I think that's that's a general approach to life is to best look at what what has worked previously and mm-hmm. also what you'd like to improve on right and that same model can be applied to the way we approach our relationship with our dads or our relationship with anyone for that matter it's just looking at what are they doing really well and acknowledging and admiring that part but also understanding that they're flawed human beings just like all of us are yeah we're and all one, fallible exactly yeah exactly and we're going to have children that we're going to make mistakes with and we got to accept that we are like that because one thing that didn't happen in my family is my parents didn't know how to accept um their own flaws and they tried to be parents and always do the right thing by us but they couldn't show their own weaknesses they couldn't show that hey sometimes we actually get it wrong and they couldn't talk to me about that and i feel like that's something i learned from them like that i needed to carry on into the next generation is being able to have conversations with my children not just as children but as equals give them the advice that they need be a parent but also bring them into conversations where we've done wrong and admit it Right. Hesh, um, moving along, how has um, getting married recently changed how you feel about being a man and how you, how you are as a man? Well, man, being married, I mean, that was an experience on its own, going from um, being just in a partnership to being a husband. And I, I took that transition and that rite of passage very seriously. And I really questioned what man do I want to be inside of marriage as well, right? Why am I doing this? And my wife and I intentionally designed our wedding around that very question. Why are we doing this? And why is this important to us? And how do we bring everyone in the room inside of our love so that they can experience us too and uh, share it and feel included? That's beautiful. And um, do you, like sometimes now, I think that there's changes in mental lives that they go through, um, you know, rites of passage, things that just happen. But for me, uh, I find it quite hard to, to imagine Mike Davis without a son. Um, it's changed me profoundly in many ways. Um, and I just wonder, I think from memories and now a good while ago, but when I got married, I think a similar shift happened. Have you experienced a sort of similar state shift in how you see the world and yourself? Yes. Well, I, I think I started to feel like I needed to take on a bit more responsibility for things. I shifted into a bit more action than I wasn't, I was taking before marriage or pre-marriage. Um, thinking a lot more about the future, uh, obviously children as well, things like that of that nature have come into question and looking to plan for that. And a lot of the things that we're doing now are in planning for those things coming, for the responsibility over another human being's life. Um, so that was something that immediately kicked into gear, uh, being a husband. Yeah, that's very well said, very well said. And good notes for anyone who's thinking about getting <laughs> married as well. <laughs> um, Hesh, it's incumbent on, my, on me to ask you just a couple of things about how you live your life as somebody who teaches um, how to uh, thrive. So physically first, maybe the habits and routines that you try and emulate to give you the best chance of good performance. If you could sort of 
go through your top couple. Um, yeah. And then we'll, then we'll shift to sort of some mindset stuff afterwards. Yeah, so tracking and reviewing uh, progress is, I think, paramount to performance that doesn't feel painful. And what I mean by that is if we're tracking constantly, it's what I said before, if we're tracking what's working really well and what's uh, what we need to improve on, and then we're creating actions every week, every month to just better ourselves from the previous days, the previous weeks, and the previous months, I think that sets us in stone to go on a what I call a incremental uh, trajectory of improvement rather than constant, constantly fluctuating up in our, in peaks of performance and then crashing and then peaks of performance and then crashing, which is, again, that stress-centric performance model I was talking about. A lot of men are out there, they perform really high, they bulldoze their way through performance, but then they crash afterwards and then they go and then they go at it again and then they go and take a holiday and then they go at it again. But how do you create that momentum where it's this consistent improvement over time Tracking and progression has like seriously changed the way that I approach performance and made it stress-free for me. That's awesome. And in terms of how you look after your body and your mind at the same time, do you have exercise practices? Do you have mindfulness practices? What does a sort of day look like for you in terms of your habits and routines? Yeah. So, it's, I mean, I have the habits and routines in place, right? In terms of my health, in terms of my career, in terms of finances, like I look at every pillar of performance and I have the, uh, the habits, the high performance habits that I need to uh, abide by in order to get the life that I want in that area. But I'm not sitting there looking at the routine as this rigid rule book that I have to abide by. So the difference between me and I find a lot of high performers are sometimes high performers get trapped in that routine. They get trapped in those habits. It's kind of like put on more, perform more high. And then if I don't tick the box today, I feel bad about myself. It's kind of like it means something about me that I failed, that I'm not a good performer. And I think that's something that's very important to talk to because I think there's a lot of high performers out there who get trapped in their own routines, feeling like they have to complete X, Y, and Z tasks by the end of the day, at the end of the week. And if they don't, they feel bad. They sit in that guilt. They sit in that shame. And it becomes this vicious cycle. So it's something to just keep be aware of. Well said, very well said. And, you know, you talk a lot about overcoming self-limiting beliefs in your work and um, yeah. how important that is. Could, do you want to just expand a bit on what, what you mean by that? Yes. So I think the beliefs that we have about ourselves and about the world dictate the decisions that we make and the actions that we take. So what I mean by that is you're either making high-quality decisions for your life or low-quality decisions for your life that's giving you the reality that you have in front of you. Now, if we take it back to that bottling story, what I was doing was I was making a whole lot of poor quality, low quality decisions that was leading to poor outcomes that led me to that moment. That's what I recognized at that time. Then I went on a journey to figure out how did I even start making decisions like this? And I ended up drawing it back to my beliefs and my values. I recognized I wasn't living in alignment with what's truly important to me. And I also recognized that I had limiting beliefs in my subconscious mind that were running the way that I did performance, running the way that I approached life. And it was limiting my potential and it was making my performance feel like a grind. So being able to identify and then extract those limiting beliefs and replace them with something that's more empowering, having a fresh perspective on the way to do things in performance, that's what's made a massive difference to my life. That's what I said. And are there things, do you have favorite quotes or things that you like to say around mindset that you sort of hark back to that are important? 
because self-limiting beliefs is one thing, but I think we all have to have a bit of a toolbox or a kit of things to to fall back on. One of my um, ones is around that sort of, you know, 90% in life is how you react to things rather than what actually happens. Um, so the, another one that I have that I really like is um, asking myself um, when I'm distressed, will I remember this in five years? And the, the answer is invariably no. So why would I be worried about it now? So do you have similar devices that you like to fall back on to help you um, be a high performer? Yeah, I mean, similar to one that you just said, it's kind of like it's not about the stress you feel, but it's about how you respond to the stress that you feel that makes a difference, right? And I think being calm under pressure is severely underrated when it comes to performance and dealing with responses and triggers from our environments. So I think that's one quote that I definitely like constantly remind myself about. It's, it's like, okay, I feel stressed right now, but why am I feeling stressed? What's the trigger? And trying to figure that out and drawing the limiting beliefs that are sitting out behind that. And that's mm. inside of that quote. So that's probably one of the most powerful ones I consistently live by. Fantastic. And um, so let's talk a little bit about the model man and sort of your um, your work in that space and sort of how how you actually – uh, bring this wealth of knowledge, insights, and this offering um, to men who are looking to perform at that higher level uh, from all aspects of what they do. Yeah, man. So, I mean, the Model Man's my organization. It was born about now two years ago. Uh, and the the essence of the organization is to help create role, sorry, male role models in society, right? Like I mentioned, I want, I feel like men are the key to unlocking a lot of positive impact that's far spread beyond just men alone, but into all people, uh, mothers, daughters, uh, children, you name it, right? I think men hold a lot of power in society to be the change. And if they start to lead by their example, that goes a long way forward to creating a better society. Now, how do I do that? That's where my coaching has kind of come in. And I've started to coach men on creating what I call a stress-free uh, mindset or a stress-free high-performance mindset. And I help men essentially build a mindset that's less stress-centric and more rest-centric. Mm. Very well said. That. And so, I mean, that's quite an incredible thing in itself, what you're doing. And, and I suppose, I mean, one thing that sort of um, harks to me a little bit is men now are encouraged to talk a lot more about their feelings um, and to open up and, you know, but there's still this this sort of feel out there that we have to be the strong man all the time that doesn't do that. So there's this dual perception out there about whether we should or shouldn't, you know, be open and be talking about our feelings. And there's also a bit of a, a sense that it is a bit of a privileged space to be two men maybe coaching each other through man issues when men have it so easy compared to, to women and other groups in society. How do you, do you face that often? And I just wonder how you kind of reconcile that with, with what you do. Yeah, so the way I've reconciled that is by taking a different lens on rather than making it talking about emotions and feelings, because that that will happen, right, as a, as a consequence of men just having a conversation. But my lens on this is dealing with your performance and actually increasing and unlocking the potential in your brain and dealing with the limiting beliefs that are stopping you from reaching your full potential and also stopping your performance from feeling like a grind, like you're running on that hamster wheel expending a lot of effort and energy, but you're not really getting anywhere fast compared to the full potential you could achieve. And that's a lens that I take on my programs. It's about high performance, but taking the stress out and also taking the self-sacrificial element out of your performance. Now, a lot of men resonate with that because the men that come to me are often men that have done it, done it for a long time, five, 10 years, they've been stressed out. Um, they've achieved a lot. So financially, 
in their careers that they've got the they've got everything that they want and yet they still feel this stress or they feel that there's something missing like relationships are getting sacrificed uh they don't have time for the children they're not present at the end of the days just to be there for their family the friends and the things that are important to them uh they feel like they lack personal boundaries still and that people are demanding so much of them that they're burning out so that's when men come to me and men are more willing to talk about that stuff because it's not less about emotion and it's more about the practic the practicals of improving performance and unlocking your potential. Yeah, I love that. I I think that's so clever how you've sort of made it agnostic of anything else. So it kind of doesn't even matter what who or how you identify. Yeah. It's sort of just about performance and everyone wants to have a more balanced uh mindset, lifestyle and attitude to performance, I suppose. That's it because as much as I am working with men like women come to me all all gender associations come to me and and talk about the same problems it's just they have a different lens on it and a different experience i find in general because what it is for men for women and for different gender associations like performance the 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 challenges that they face in the workplace are all different right and there's challenges for example that women will face that men will never face and because of that like i my programs are targeted specifically to men and the challenges that they face because i understand how that works but i don't completely understand it how it works for other gender associations but what i would like to do in the future is have something like the model woman and like other gender associations and being able to bring that in for them and bring people in who have expertise dealing with um the same challenges as those genders right and so that's that's kind of the evolvement of it and the future of it But right now I feel like this is where my bread and butter is at to create real change in society. Mate, fantastic. It's it's so good to hear about what you're doing and I think it's going to have a a profound impact. How could people connect with you and learn a bit more about your work? Yeah, man. So I mean, usually through Instagram or Facebook. So I have Hashan Fernando underscore coaching, which is my Instagram page. Very active on there. Just send me a DM, have a chat with me. If you've got any challenges or things you want to talk about, just say hi and we can have a conversation see um how I can help you even in the DMs. Then I also offer uh coaching calls to people so people can uh hit me up on my website themodelman.com.au uh and they can just send an email saying like hey I heard you on this podcast you can um like I was going through some of the challenges you spoke about love to have a chat. I'm always open to just having a general chat and an open a conversation and then just seeing where that goes, right? My my job at the end of the day is to help people and meet them where they're at. So some people are ready for programs, some people just want to have a chat and get some advice and get some insight. So I'm always looking to see where people are at and meet them there and give them what they need so they can take their next steps. So that's kind of the approach I take. themodelman.com.au is probably my secondary go-to, but Instagram and Facebook as well, Hashan Fernando. I'm very active on those platforms and LinkedIn as well. Mate, you're all bases covered. So good to connect <laughs> with you. Hang on a bit and we'll have a quick debrief. Thanks for joining awesome. me today. It was a pleasure. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you hit the subscribe button in your podcast player and why not share it with a friend or two? If you want more from your Humans of Purpose experience, become a Humans of Purpose member today through our new platform, Supercast. All you need to do is hit the link in our show notes. If you have a message to share with our audience about your brand, products or services, we have a wide variety of paid promotional packages available. Please get in touch by hitting the link in our show notes.